Hey, this is John Legadakis, and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of a conference call that I do each week with other internet marketers where we talk about how we can market our products and services better, get more traffic, and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hi, welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's great to have you here. I have a special guest with us today. His name is John Vespasian. Welcome, John, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Yep, great. It's great to have you here. Now, John, he's the author of several books, seven books, in fact, about rational living. And his latest one is titled On Becoming Unbreakable. Now, John, his books and his content is about pretty much it's it's a self-improvement, development philosophy. And so it's great to have John here on the podcast where he can share some valuable insights that he's learned with us and which are a bit unique to everyone else. So, so John, maybe you can start us off by telling us how you came to write these books about rational living. What inspired you? Yes, uh, I started to write books uh, in 2008 and I have been reading uh, books about philosophy, psychology, self-development, uh, marketing, economics for many, many years, I mean for decades. And at a certain point, I became um, dissatisfied with the books that are on the market, especially with personal development books, because I find them too unrealistic, too vague. I mean, you always have the same stories about positive thinking and the law of attraction and this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I regard as, in most cases, very unrealistic and, and misguided, because um it implies that whatever you believe you can get and you can do this, just go for it. And it's kind of philosophy, which I find very superficial because it pushes people many times in the wrong direction without much thinking uh, in advance. And it makes it very difficult to correct mistakes because if you just reinforce a false belief, you might be going in the wrong direction, in the wrong direction for many, many years and you will only uh, end up crashing against the wall. This is why in my books I take a completely different approach and I try to develop a system of personal development based on reason, based on um, rational calculation. And I think in the long term, people uh, do much better if they stay calm and try to assess the situation rationally. And uh, this is a much easier way to sustain your motivation in the long run. It's certainly much easier than, uh, than positive thinking. Okay, great. And so your latest book on Becoming Unbreakable, How Normal People Become Extraordinarily Self-Confident. I noticed in that book, what you do, you give examples from history. You want to talk a bit about why you do that? Uh, Yes, um, most personal development books, they tell stories about uh, things that happened uh, five years ago, ten years ago, famous people, celebrities. And I refrain from doing that because uh, you don't have enough perspective. And it happens very often that we admire someone uh, today who has performed some great achievement. And you see five years later that uh, the person is prosecuted, uh, there are crimes, commit suicide. I mean, this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You see it all the time. Right. And I think only when you, uh, when you use examples from history, it could be uh, from 50 years ago. I mean, people who have, have a, a complete career... Mm-hmm. And then you can look at it with perspectives. Only there you can draw right conclusions. Otherwise, you get lost in the details. And many times the details are not correct. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. 
And can you give, for those that have not read your content, can you give an example uh, from any of your books of someone that you've used in your books and how we can apply it today? Yes, uh, I will give you my one of my favorite examples that I think is in my first book, my second book about rationality. And it's the example of a British uh, archaeologist. Uh, his name is Howard Carter, who lived in the early, in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, he is famous because he discovered the, the tomb of Tutankhamun, who is uh, an ancient uh, Egyptian uh, pharaoh. And uh, Carter had a very um, unusual career because he was not a professional archaeologist. He was uh, actually he had no education. He was hired to go to Egypt to draw copies of ancient paintings. And little by little, he uh, developed expertise in the field. He learned to read uh, hieroglyphics, ancient uh, Egyptian language. And he developed on his own the theory that there was one tomb of one pharaoh who had never been found. And everybody was telling uh, him, look, you're crazy. You're wasting your time. You will never find it. And the Carter managed to get uh, money from some sponsor and uh, he spent uh, 10 years of his life making holes in the ground in Egypt looking for this tomb of this pharaoh and everybody was telling him he was crazy and basically he didn't find anything uh, during those 10 years I mean he found little things but nothing of great value and uh, the idea in the book is how was Carter able to sustain his motivation for these 10 years until he eventually became successful I mean, you have to realize uh, we are talking early 20th century. Uh, mm. There was no positive thinking. There was no law, law of attraction. I mean, all these theories yeah. did not exist. How did, it, how did he do it? And the explanation I found, and I find this remarkable, is that he had everything against him, mm. everybody against him, and he sustained his motivation because he was completely rational. I mean, Carter took the trouble to go to the sources, the ancient... Egyptian hieroglyphics, he read the text, and he, did, he deducted from the text, he, he drew the conclusion that this tomb had to be there. Uh, he was basing his motivation on rational facts, on yeah. rational conclusions, and this kept him going for 10 years, and in the end he was successful against all expectations. And this is the kind of stories that uh, I tell in my books, because uh, I don't want to lead people into a magical thinking of this law of attraction things. I really want people to be rational because I mm. think it's the best way to increase your chances of success. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic example. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's so true that, like you say, that there are, there is a lot of personal development content out there that is the feel-good stuff, like whatever you think you can go and get. But what I've discovered too in my experience, and I'm, I'm 41 years old now, and so I've still got a long way to go, but in my limited experience, what I've discovered is that any great success that people have, it never comes without a price, ever. Uh, you have to pay the price. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the sacrifice, the sacrifices that are made, uh, the determination required to achieve that success. We all see the athletes at the Olympics winning gold, but a lot of us don't realize what has gone into getting that achievement. And, and so the example you just gave is that it didn't happen overnight. It took 10 years. And the reason why he was able to stay strong during that time and get the achievement against all odds 
was the fact that he had something substantive to work with. There was something, as you call it, rational to work with, and, and that kept him going. Is there any other examples of what you teach that you can share with us? Yes, uh, well, every, every one of the books contains a long, a long number of examples. I would just like to mention another one. And this is about a chess player who was world champion in the 20th century. His name is uh, Mikhail Tal, uh, Russian. And I always, I'm always fascinated by chess players because you can learn a lot about life and about strategy by the way they think and also by the way they live if you compare how they play chess compared to how they actually live their lives. And uh, Tal was, um, was really a great talent playing chess because he was famous because he managed to win situations in, in games that were very, very complex, very, very um, confused, mm-hmm. and he always found a way uh, actually to win. Right. And people, people always ask uh, Mikhail Tal, how could you win this game? I mean, it was such a mess. I mean, it was impossible to find uh, a solution. It was so complex. Mm-hmm. There were so many threats. And what made Tal win against very often very, very strong players, so even stronger players than he was, he said, look, I don't like situations that are too stable because they are boring. I cannot concentrate. So for me, when a situation is very complex, when I don't know exactly what to do, and always willing to sacrifice uh, some material, some pawns or some knights or whatever, because for me the most important is to take the initiative. And when you see a game uh, of Mikhail Tal, I mean, these games are now um, almost 100 years old, you see amazing uh, sacrifices of material, and this is what you just mentioned, amazing sacrifices of pawns, of, of knights, and sometimes when you analyze the, the, the moves he, make, he made in detail, you see he made sometimes mistakes, but you see, when you're playing chess, you're also playing uh, against time, like in real life. I mean, you have limited time to achieve your goal, to win the game. Mm-hmm. And Tal was always very, very, very much time conscious. And what you see in his games over and over and over again is that he would always take the initiative at any price. Because he knew that if you take the initiative in the game, uh, you push your opponent or you put actually the time on, on your side. Because then the other person is going to be feel a bit against the wall, is going to be on the, on the defensive. And I think in business and in life, it really pays off to take the advantage in any situ- to take the initiative in any situation because you are going to be moving in the right direction. Even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you will eventually find a way. The worst possible you- thing you can do is to just to remain passive. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that. A lot of people feel that to move forward and to do something, to go and achieve something, that all their ducks need to be lined up in a row. And it's definitely my experience that's not true. And so I can definitely identify with that. It's a really good example. And some other things that you talk about in your books are, so I'll mention some of these things. The questions that you address are, how is it possible that two persons with similar backgrounds will sometimes possess very different levels of self-confidence. Other things you talk about in your books are how do you explain that some people feel so discouraged that they practically give up all attempts to, to improve their lives? How do you cope with massive rejection or lack of appreciation? How can you increase your ability to deal with setbacks and difficulties? Which simple strategy can help you increase your chances of attaining financial success? Which crucial mistake 
do you need to avoid in order to preserve your long-term motivation? Is there a philosophy that is more effective than positive thinking? Which strategy can drastically reduce your risk of failure when you're facing severe problems? What is the best approach for coping successfully with a multiplicity of problems? And what explains that some talented people will sometimes seem unable to obtain good results? So that's just that's just some of the questions that your books address. Was there any one of those that I just mentioned that stands out to you, John, as something that is particularly prevalent in society that you feel you can offer some really good advice on? Yes. <clears throat> one problem that you find nowadays very often, not only in, uh, I would say, not only in American uh, society, but also in Europe, in Australia, and uh, in, uh, also in Asia, is that there are many, many, people's, uh, many, many people in uh, today's world that are discouraged, anxious, and, and sometimes they fall prey to depression, and they have a nervous breakdown. And this is a problem which, uh, I mean, in figures, uh, you're talking about dozens of millions of people. Only in the U.S., I think there are now about 50 million people taking uh, antidepressants and medication. So it's really quite a serious problem. And, of course, sometimes you have need of, of medication, of treatment, because there are some um, chemical imbalances. But on many occasions, it's basically a philosophical problem. And this is what I address in my books. I try to take examples of people who have experienced uh, extreme adversity and try, try to show how they prevented depression and how they actually uh, got back on their feet. And let me give you an example. Yeah, that'd be great. Comes in the, in the last book. is <clears throat> the, the story of a Belgian man. His name was Joseph Bale. And he lived in the early uh, 19th century. And his life is remarkable. I mean, it's not, not well known in the U.S. because it's a basic European story. But I think it's remarkable because it shows you how to deal with extreme adversity. And Joseph Bale, he lived in Belgium. Uh, and he was recruited when he was very, very young. He was recruited uh, into the army of Napoleon. Napoleon uh, was conducting war basically against the rest of Europe, from France and Belgium. He was attacking Austria and Italy and, uh, in the end, Russia. So Joseph Abel was uh, inducted into the Napoleonic army. Uh, he had, you have to imagine that people at the time, they have to walk uh, basically thousands of kilometers uh, because not everybody had a horse. So they have to walk, and he walked from Belgium to Russia, I mean, thousands of kilometers. Uh, Napoleon attacked Russia in the winter. It was a complete disaster. Seventy uh, percent of the French soldiers died. In this case, Abel was taken prisoner by the Russians. He was taken to a prison camp 2,000 kilometers to the east. Most people there started to die, and Abel managed to survive two years of really appalling conditions, and then he walked all the way from the Middle East to Belgium, and he rebuilt his life, and he, in the end he was very successful. And the story is, uh, of course, the key is how did he do it? Why was he able to keep up his spirits while everybody else was basically giving up, falling prey to despair, committing almost suicide? And Abel uh, wrote his memories in the 1860s, and the book is really remarkable because it tells you how he was able to keep up hope and determination. I mean, he tried to escape uh, three times. He right. survived without food uh, for weeks. And then the main key in the story is that Abel had talked to other veterans from the wars, and they have told him stories about people who escape and people who survive and right. people who rebuild their lives. 
and he was keeping in mind all the time that other people had been able to survive, other soldiers, mm. they had been able to escape. And he said, okay, if these people can do it, I can do it too. So he was basing his hope on a rational expectation. And while everybody else was basically getting nervous breakdown and, and basically dying, Abel was keeping on all the time, trying to escape, trying to go back to his homeland, and in the end he succeeded. And the story is remarkable because when he came back from the, from the war, he had nothing. I mean, really no money. He walked all the way from Russia to Belgium, mm. and he rebuilt, he rebuilt his life from scratch, and in the end he was very successful. So these kind of stories I tell in my books because I, I prefer to draw conclusions from real facts rather than tell people uh, to be positive, to be positive, to be positive, which really does not amount to anything. Yeah, okay, great. That's a really good example. Thank you. And another one of the lessons that you teach in your books is, and I mentioned this question before, is some talented people will sometimes seem unable to attain good results. And uh, the reason why I bring that up is because I think this is an important one to understand. A lot of people, they might do well, for example, academically, but then not really reach their full potential throughout their life. Like they might do well initially with schooling, but then after school, not a lot seemed to happen. So can you share with us some of your thoughts on that? Yes, I think the the main characteristic of, of people who become, I would say, uh, successful and happy. And of course, there is never a guarantee because even if you are perfectly rational, which is impossible, but even if you try to be rational most of the time, the only thing you get is you increase your chances of success, There's, there is never a guarantee because you could be um, very, very unlucky and you could be uh, you could have an accident. But mo- most of the time, it's the right strategy. You will increase your long-term possibilities. And the reason why, this is my, my conclusion after writing these books, uh, the reason why uh, many people misuse their talents, so basically they, they do not employ their, their abilities or their skills uh, in the right way, and actually they don't become successful is because they don't have the right time perspective. And this is something that I don't think you, should, you read very often in uh, personal development books, which are basically about do this now and do go this for this now. If you want to have a good planning for your life and a good uh, success strategy, you have to take decisions with the perspective of a lifetime. And today, uh, many people live to, be, uh, to become 90 years old or even 95. And when you're trying to choose a profession or to go for a business uh, venture, or to, uh, to learn a new skill, which is complex, like learning a foreign language, you have to see the benefits and the investment that you're going to need in times of a lifetime. I mean, if you try to see everything short term, like one year, two years, three years, or even one week, you will never be able to make very good decisions because you will go in one direction. Sometimes you will have adversity, you will have problems, and you will not be able to tell whether you should continue or that you should quit, or that you should change course. And it is only when you look uh, long-term and you say, okay, I'm going to work on this business for 30 years, 40 years, I mean, this is going to be my lifetime work, then you can always find a way, because little by little you will go through the learning curve, you will correct your mistakes, you will improve your skills, and eventually you will find a way. And in my view, the skill of looking at problems and looking at challenges with a perspective of a lifetime, I think is underestimated because most mistakes in life are made by looking at things only short term. 
and people get uh, depressed and anxious and stressed because they cannot see beyond next week or beyond next year. Yeah, I totally agree. It's something that I've definitely come to learn myself. To, the patience, really, is so important and setting realistic expectations. So, yep, thank you very much for that. So, John, you've written, again, we, we mentioned seven books on rational living, on this self-development philosophy that you have. There's fantastic stories in there. And I personally love real-life stories that we can learn from. For anyone that would like to read more of John's content and learn more about what John is sharing, the best place, John, to get a hold of your stuff is Amazon. Is that correct, John? Yes, well, they are, they are, um, my books are in Amazon. They're in Barnes & Noble. They're also on the, um, on the Apple Store. If you want to see any of my books or my blog, my blog contains also hundreds of articles. If you want to read any of my stuff, you just type my name, uh, John Vespasian, on Google, John Vespasian, and you will see uh, immediately books and the blog. Uh, there are some, also some, uh, some free uh, e-books, and then you can see my material. It's very easy to find. Yeah. Now, I'll just spell that for everyone, too. It's, uh, the surname Vespasian is V-E-S-P-A-S-I-A-N. Any final thoughts, John, before we end? Yes, I just want to uh, stress uh, also one idea that is very, I think it's a, a fundamental idea in my books, is that whatever you do in any area of your life, it's important that you keep sufficient margins. And this is uh, something that goes against uh, most of the personal development philosophy you hear, that ah, you should go out on a limp and you should try and you should do everything and you should put everything in the line, on the line. I think this is wrong. I think you have to allow some margin for mistakes in any area of your life, whether it's in investments, whether it's in a profession or business or, or whatever it is. You have to allow some margin for mistakes. And diversification, to a certain extent, where you have a business or a career, you should not only learn one thing. I mean, you should learn several skills. You should spread your investments in different countries, in different areas. Uh, you should have uh, different types of friends. If you just do only one thing, you increase the risk too much. And if you put all your resources on one um, venture, I think you, you run a risk which is too high. And this is why in my books, very, very often, I tell people, look, it looks very good. The, the story is very nice. Uh, the investment looks very attractive. But you should be prudent. And you should always keep a reserve. Never put everything on the line, even if it looks very good and very promising. Always keep some margins for mistakes because you will make mistakes. Uh, sometimes you will be unlucky. Even if you are very clever, you will, uh, you will just have bad luck and you will lose money or you will, you will lose a business. Always keep a reserve. Always keep sufficient margins because uh, it will allow you to start again and you will never grow so discouraged that you will, you will become depressed. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate, John, you taking the time to share these insights with us and so grateful for the work that you do. I think it's very valuable. I highly encourage you to take a look into John's work. I think there's a lot that we can gain from it. Again, thank you so very much, John. I wish you all the very best and, and truly appreciate you being with us on the podcast today. Uh, many thanks. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. A transcript summary of today's podcast, including links to sites mentioned is available on my blog at johnlagodakis.com. That's J-O-H-N-L-A-G-O-U-D-A-K-I-S.com. And if you'd like help 
setting up your own successful internet marketing business. I highly recommend you check out my free webinar at makemoneywithjohn.com. Thank you for joining us on this audio program. For more online success strategies, visit makemoneywithjohn.com.